You know, we all have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Nobody gets extra time, nobody gets less, yet God has given us all the gift of time. He's given us yesterday, today, and perhaps tomorrow. And we're continuing in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes with a series called Never Enough, which is this notion that no matter what we amass, it will never be enough. That we're always looking for the next, the next passion, the next position, the next person, the next pursuit, the next party. And once we attain that, we find that it's never enough. So we resort to building castles only to find that when we attain those, it doesn't bring us the satisfaction that we're after. So today I want to deal with the issue of time, which I'm sure most of us feel is a resource that we don't have enough of. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you can open up your Bibles... And also get the basket of pens and pass it through your aisle. We find that the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes here and, and throughout the whole book, who they refer to as the teacher, who most scholars believe is King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, begins by observing this, this natural and historical activity that is highlighted by this circular, this, this rhythmic uh, rhythm of coming and going, of being and not being. You know, time is one of those subjects that the teacher looks at and says, you know what, I I've seen it all, and it's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And when I read through this list as I'm studying for this, I found that reading through this list and through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, it left me feeling frustrated. And it led me to agree with King Solomon saying, you know what, this is Hevel. And if you guys recall from your past messages here, Hevel is translated as absurd. Pastor David used the word stupid, meaningless, vanity, vapor of vapor, that everything is meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what the teacher says regarding time. It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. You guys are probably thinking that song right now. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter, to gather. A time to embrace and to refrain. A time to search and to give up. A time to keep and throw away. A time to tear and to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in their hearts. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift from God. And I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And I'm wondering right now, and again, as I read through this list, if some of you, at least those of you that know that song, have their, that song stuck in their head. You know the one? A time to be born, a time. You know the song? It was made popular by the birds in 1965, and it's based off of this scripture here in Ecclesiastes. 
And if you remember that band, they had this very easygoing vibe to them, you know? It, this is a song that you would play on a lazy Saturday afternoon when you just want to sit back and relax and just enjoy your Saturday, right? Because it does have this really slow, melodic vibe to this song. But the problem with that song is that I don't think that's what the teacher intended. I don't think that he intended these words to be smooth and melodic and have this easygoing vibe to it. No, the teacher intended for us to listen and hear these words with the same frustration in which he saw everything else under the sun, the Bible says. He calls it everything under the sun, which is vanity, meaningless, hevel, vapor of vapor, nothing but a mist. So perhaps I can put it more into perspective. I created a list more appropriate for our time. Perhaps you will get the sense and the tone which the teacher intended. And it may sound something like this. To everything there is a season. A time for a healthy pregnancy and a time for a miscarriage. A time for a clear medical report and a time for chemotherapy. A time to win and a time to lose. A time to get a promotion and a time to get laid off. A time when you can have fun with your kids and a time when they don't, have, they don't want anything to do with you. A time for vacations and a time to struggle paying the bills. A time for earning a salary and a time when you don't know if you're going to have enough saved up for retirement. A time for diplomacy and a time for unavoidable conflict. A time for weddings and a time for funerals. And when you read it like this and when you hear it like this, then you start to feel it a little different, don't you? Then you can say along with the teacher, man, this is vanity. This is meaningless. We are all prisoners of this 24 hours in a day. And even now, as you sit there listening to me, time is ticking in this micro level and a macro level. At the micro level, this singular moment right here, right now, is a moment of your day that you spend doing this, instead of something else. And in a macro level, this moment is a moment of your life that you're never going to get back. And in fact, it's getting you closer, one step closer to death than you were a second ago. Isn't that depressing? That's a vanity, folks. The clock ticks and talks over and over again. And part of the issue that we have with time is that we live our lives in this reactive posture when it comes to time. See, all of those events that Solomon is talking about are events that primarily happen to us. So we spend our whole lives trying to figure out how do we appropriately react to all of these seasons in our life. And as I read through this, I don't know about you, but for me, it gives me this uncomfortable realization that we really don't control anything, do we? Mm-hmm. Say it. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that we don't want control. That's not to say that we don't seek control, because we certainly want that. I mean, that's why we put the seatbelt on, and we buy the organic food, and, and we buy health insurance, and we invest in our retirement accounts. We do all of these things because we want to control all these time. But when it comes down to it, all of these things are really fooling us into believing that we actually have control over our circumstances, and we don't. Now you can say vanity it's all meaningless. So when we realize that we have this ticking clock and that we're living reactively inside of this ticking clock, there's something else that wells up in me, and I think you will agree, that says, you know, this isn't right. 
This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not fair. And we start to get the sense that there has to be something else. There has to be something better. And that's why we're super frustrated with our inability to take hold of this resource called time. You guys ever feel like that? Say amen. Mm-hmm. At least an mm-hmm something. Tell me you're here, please. And then Solomon gives us this glimpse of why he thinks that is. He tells us why we feel that way. Look at verse 11. He says that God has set eternity in our hearts. So when we get the sense that there is something else, it's because in our hearts we know that we're meant for something more than just life inside of these time constraints. And in fact, C.S. Lewis says this about this longing, this eternity in our hearts. He says this about that. He puts it perfectly. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, you guys relate? The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And if none of my earthly pleasures satisfied, it doesn't prove that the universe is fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only arouse it and suggest the real thing. You know, he describes this sense of longing, this sense of something else, this sense of eternity in our hearts. He describes it as the scent of a flower not yet found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, the news from a country that we've never visited. This is the kind of eternity that the Lord has planted in our hearts. And one of the problems that we have with understanding the nature of this eternity that I think for many of us is that we have this misguided interpretation of what eternity really is. At least for me, for the longest time in my own life, I thought about eternity existing in a line. That I exist in this line and at some point in my life, I pass away and eternity goes on forever in that direction with a never-ending point. And on the opposite end, you have the beginning of time that goes on forever at a never-ending point. However, folks, you have to understand that eternity is not being on that line and going on forever. No, eternity is escaping from the line entirely because that is the arena in which God dwells and does his work. And this is one of the reasons, again, I, I love studying through this book of Ecclesiastes because this is one of the reasons that the book of Revelation tells us that then, and he calls that Jesus was called the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. In past tense, as if it already happened, it is the reason why Paul, in Romans chapter 8, can look at Christians and use terms like sanctified and glorified in the past tense, understanding that these are things that happen to us in future tense. It is because God, who exists outside of the constraints of time, and all of these things have already happened from his perspective. That's amazing to me. And if we want to escape the vanity of our seasons and of our time, the only way that we can do that is by looking to the one who exists outside of time. And to put it into the words that the teacher uses here in Ecclesiastes is the way to escape the vanity that is under the sun is to look outside from under the sun. You see, time is a created entity. God created you and me, the animals, all of creation, and he also created time. So God exists and rules over time in the same way that he rules over creation. 
So we can look to the one who rules over time, look outside from under the sun to escape this vanity of time. And one of the wonderful things about this passage here in Ecclesiastes is that it not only points to the futility of our time and our respect and our circumstances, which is how we read this, but it also reminds us of the great purpose that God has in his time. In fact, the Bible uses two words to describe time. The first word is the word chronos, which is Greek, and it means a specific moment in time. That's where we get the word chronological. You know, we say, what, what chronos is it right now? The other word that the Bible uses is this word kairos. And kairos is not a specific moment in time, but instead it represents this convergence of events for a specific purpose. So chronos refers to chronological or sequential time, while kairos signifies this proper or opportune time for action. Well, guess which word the Greek word uses here over and over here in Ecclesiastes? It is not chronos how we read it or how we would think. It is the word kairos. So from the teacher's perspective, he's not just talking about that there's a time for you in all of these seasons. It is a time to live and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to reap. No, he's not just talking about you. He's saying that these are kairos in nature. So as we react to the seasons of life and we get caught up in the vanity of time, there is a way, you see, to view Ecclesiastes chapter 3 from the divine lens of God. That from God's kairos timing, you see, he's bringing all of these factors together that nothing absolutely nothing, even though the small details is out of his control. And there is truly a divine meaning and purpose behind all of these seasons of life that all of you are going through. So then the question for us this morning, I don't know if you know, but I love asking questions. Do we really believe that God is actively involved in the universe and specifically your affairs? And of course we would say, you know, we're Christians. Of course we do. We don't believe that the Lord our God, you know, is this cosmic clockmaker that at the beginning of time set the world in motion, wound up the clock, and then just step back and watch it all unfold. No, we would say we're Christians. We believe that the Lord does not have a passive stance when it comes to human history and specifically our events. We believe that he is actively working in the midst of all of those things, right? But I would suggest to you this morning that as Christians, do we really believe that? Do we really believe? Because I would say that for some of us, perhaps not. And I can give you a quick example that we don't believe that nearly as strong as we think we do. Because oftentimes we come across somebody who's hurting or suffering and we pray for them and we would say things like, Lord, I pray that you would be with so-and-so. And I, I get what we mean when we say that. I get what, what, what we're trying to say. We, we were trying to say, God, deliver them, heal them, bring them comfort, and bring them peace. But that's not what we say. We say, be with them, which begs the question, where has he been up until now? We are asking God to be with this person. Has he been on a break? Has he been absent? Is he not well informed? It, it really just points to the fact that our words reveal many times that we don't truly believe that God is actively working in our world. 
You know, this passage says that all of these seasons are kairos in nature, which means that we are not in this out-of-control train careening towards this unknown end. Instead, even though we are reactive, because there's not a whole lot we can do about it, in this line of eternity, feeling this, this unction, this, this feeling because God has planted eternity in our hearts, that God exists outside of that and is moving and working and orchestrating events in a way that we cannot comprehend. And here's the key. The true measure of whether we believe that God is active is not in our words, but in our own activity during those seasons. You know, there's a family that comes to our church. They're actually here. It's the Lehmans. I got their approval to share this story with you. Um, their son just, not just about a, over a month ago, had a really bad car accident, and he's had some craniotomies, and he's had a couple surgeries now, and he's slowly recovering. And in the midst, if that wasn't enough, because none of us here would want to trade places with them, Rocky, the mom, is having back surgery. So she's laid out, and she's at the hospital and going undergoing some, some painful procedure while not being able to watch her son. And as soon as she recovers, she's back in the hospital, and now they're trying to get their son. I mean, to say that they're in a valley right now would be downplaying it and yet when I speak to Rocky and when I speak to Todd all I can hear is all the ways God is working in their life all I can see is listen look look how many people God has brought together to pray for my son of course they're going through it they're in the midst of it it's hurting they prefer not to go through it yet they choose to see these glimmers of hope that God is actively working in their lives so when we honestly believe that God is actively involved in our affairs, by the way, thank you for that great example. May the Lord continue to bless you and lift you high and pray for them as you remember the Lehmans. When we honestly believe that God is actively involved in our affairs, the way that we measure how deeply that resonates with us within our, within our souls is the way on how we react to the seasons of life. And the way that we're investing for his kingdom, that we are, if we are active in sharing God's word, and if we are active in generosity, and in ministry, and in listening, and in giving, and telling, and sharing, and going, and doing, if we are active, we demonstrate that we believe that our God is orchestrating opportunities for us that we just have to take a hold of. In other words, we make our time count. And some of the way that we can redeem the vanity and meaningless moments of our time and seasons is to open our eyes to God's divine work in our lives. Which leaves one more question. We know that God exists outside of time. But how do we know that all of those things that he's working on are for my interest? His word says that he has a perfect plan for our lives. How do we know? How do we know Million-dollar question for a lot of us. Because if we look around, frankly, you would agree with me that my circumstances in my life and the circumstances of our nation and the circumstances of our world all point to the fact that it contradicts the fact that God is in control. So how do we know that God lives from under the south side, from under the sun? And folks, the way we know that God is not only powerful, but is also interested in your circumstances is by looking to Jesus. 
Because in Jesus, we see that God is always on time. I'll tell you why. When we look at Jesus, we find that there was about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think about that for a second. 400 years of silence, unclaimed promises, suffering, people wondering, is there even a God? Kind of like today. Yet Paul tells us, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Listen, but when the set time, God's timing, right? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So Jesus is born, and 30 years he matures, and he made himself ready to the point, this is 30 years, this kid is growing up, and he has parents, and he has friends, and they're all wondering, is this kid more than a carpenter's son for 30 years, they were wondering? Does anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Is this, is he, this guy the Messiah? But then just at the right time, Jesus presented himself as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And three years of ministry, three years of miracles and teaches, teaching, and Jesus is arrested and he is taken to the cross. And if there was ever a moment where people thought that things were careening out of control, it was when Jesus was brutally crucified in the hands of sinful men. But even that happened at just at the right time. That we were still helpless, that Jesus at the right moment, at the right time, Christ died. And after he died, he was in the grave, and those were three of the darkest days. Again, think about that. Three days of questions and wondering, had the mission gone wrong? The disciples and believers wondering, would ever, anything ever come of this? Three days of grieving and suffering and mourning. And yet, just at the right time, Jesus rises from the dead. So now we find ourselves two, about 2,000 years later asking ourselves the same questions the disciples had between Good Friday and Easter. What now? Will there ever be justice? Will the wrongs ever be undone? What will happen in my life? Will there ever be healing? Will there be redemption and creation? Will it ever really happen? Is he ever coming back for his people? And yet we know, don't we? We know, even now, because we feel it in our hearts, we know that even now, this moment, the Son stands ready at the right hand of God, waiting for God at the right time to just say, stop and go back. So folks, this morning, you know, these messages from Ecclesiastes are, 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 are tough, and they're deep, and they, are, they require you to sit in them. And they require you to, to stay in this level and think about them and contemplate all of these things. So this message is not about making sure that you don't miss your moment. It's not a message about squeezing all the life that you can from the time that you've been giving. You can certainly do that. No, this is a message this morning that when you feel that you're in that season and you feel that it's all vanity, meaningless, hevel, and when you feel reactive to those circumstances, and when you feel like things are careening out of control, that you would look to the God who is not under the sun, but sits above it, and whose time is always right, no matter what time it is for you. That in light of this thing that we just heard, this scripture, this understanding, that as we walk out of these doors, 
that we would realize a few important things. The first one is that if God has a plan for us, because the Bible tells us, and this tells us there's a right time for things, right? That means that any other time is the wrong time. Folks, that means that it might not be your time. Because I know we're all waiting on many things, waiting for our dreams to come to pass, waiting for our health to improve, waiting to meet the right person. And if we don't understand and trust that God is always on time, then the delays and the detours and this waiting period, so to speak, will cause you to be frustrated. You see, it's not enough to just trust God. You have to trust his timing as well. He knows when you're ready. He knows when it's the right person, when, he, when he's going to open the door, when to turn things around. If it's not happening to you yet, you have to be mature enough to accept that it's not your time. So instead of living upset, thanks, Paul, why don't you be like King David and just say, you know, God, my time is in your hands. You know when to bless me, when to deliver me, when to promote me. God, I trust in your timing. If we don't understand this, we're constantly going to wonder why we're not making more progress and wonder why and we're going to start feeling like God, life isn't fair and again find ourselves frustrated. Psalm 1-3 says that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season. Notice it doesn't say that you're going to yield fruit 365 days out of the year. And I find it interesting because I watch this show called America's Got Talent. I don't know. I enjoy that show. And every time I watch this show, there's these contestants, and they all have a story. And at the end of the story, most of them say this, it's my time. But yet there's only one winner of America's Got Talent, which means that for most of these contestants, guess what? It's not their time. Yet the good news for us, especially if we're in a valley right now, and we, we feel like we're in a down season or in this waiting period, wondering when it will be the right time. The good news is that today you understand that it's not your growing season, but your time is coming where you will bear much fruit. You have to believe that as you walk out of these doors. Because even now, God is working behind the scenes to make that happen. We serve the right time God who gives everyone according to his perfect will for their lives. The God who created the universe will unfold his plan for you in his time, which means your time is coming. And folks, and if you're faithful during the off-season, God will bring you into a season of abundance. Can you say amen to that? Second thing that I want you to realize, very simple. The teacher talks about it. Be happy and do good. God wants you to enjoy life. In fact, the Bible teaches that everything that he created was for your pleasure. Did you know that? That it is a gift from God. And that's what the teacher tells us in verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is a gift from God. So the question for us this morning is, what will you do with this newfound information? Will you strive to enjoy what's in front of you? Or will you continue to pursue that which you know has yet to bring you satisfaction, more things, more possessions? Eat, drink, and be merry. It is a gift. And I get why it's hard to focus on the now. 
We live in a goal-oriented society. It makes it difficult to enjoy what's in front of us right now because we're always constantly looking for the next, right? Like I told you, the next possession, position, passion, person, party, place, pursuit. We're always looking to the next. If you run a 5K, you want to run a 10K. If you earn 80K a year, you want to earn 100K a year. You guys get the picture. That in itself is not wrong. But are you enjoying the journey? Are you enjoying your kids? Are you enjoying your family? Are you, are you enjoying coming to church? Often we realize and we don't recognize to be happy right where we are at, no matter what the season is. So I encourage you to walk out of here receiving this gift and to do good with it because that's never out of season. And third, and this could be a hard one for some of you, realize that you can't do it alone. Folks, I struggled with this. All I want is my family and kids, and I can do my thing. Solomon, who is the wisest person who ever lives, is telling us differently. He's saying that we need each other. You need me. I need you. You need a Mexican friend, probably because of the Mexican food. I don't know. Amen. He says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, down, one can help the other up. Now here Solomon is talking about living in communion or fellowship together, which shows he shows to be profitable, both to obtain greater happiness and also to be able to retain it and retain it once you have received it, which is what he talks about in the following verses. And I tell you that because we know that Solomon had everything he wanted. Every possession. The Bible says that he did not deny, deny himself any pleasure. He had lots of wives and concubines. So he's not talking about two TVs are better than one. He's not talking about that $200 is better than $100. He had these. But in the midst of all his pursuits, he found that he did not have the quality relationship with the few around him. And this is what he missed despite all the things he had, and all the projects that he completed. So in light of this, it would be in our best interest to invest in relationships. Not only with those close around you, but invest in a relationship of a community, a community that you can do life with. Invest in this church. Join a life group. Build quality relationships here. Make some new friends. Don't just leave walking out of these doors and take off for lunch, which I'll I know you're hungry, and I'm just standing between you and lunch right now. I get that. Really what it boils down to is when we read through Ecclesiastes, these chapters show us a man, King Solomon, who lived through this process and just came out on the other side wiser and with a seasoned perspective. So when our circumstances tempt us to proclaim that, what's the point? It's all meaningless. This isn't fair that we can look to Ecclesiastes, and to see life through divinely covered lenses that God has given us this morning. And here's the point. This is where Solomon starts to give us the point of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He gives us a clue here. He tells us that life is destined to remain unsatisfying apart from God. That's the point to all of this. That life is destined to remain unsatisfying apart from God. So hear the words of Solomon this morning that they might 
encourage you, and that you would put your trust solely on the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we we pray this morning that you would help us by your grace. Father, we feel it this morning. We feel this eternity that you planted in our hearts. Father, we know that it's there. We feel it as we think about this limited resource that you've given us. So now, Lord, we confess collectively this morning the best way that we know how that even now we are reactive, but Lord, we proclaim that you are proactive. You are the great engineer of time. You are the great engineer of circumstances. And Father, we pray that you would help us to overcome our unbelief. Lord, we pray by your grace that you would look to you with that confidence that it's always the right time with you. Even when it seems that like it's the wrong time for us, Father. Lord, we help us by the Holy Spirit We pray to reaffirm the fact that we trust in you. You, Father, are the God who is always on time. And we pray that it be so in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song right now. And I just ask that during this song, that you would let this sit with you. Whatever it is about this message, the scripture or a point, that you would just contemplate what God would have you do and how you would react and that you would be a different person as you walk out of these doors. You don't have to stand up. All you have to do is listen to the words and let them resonate with you. May the Lord bless you.